As you can see, we are starting a brand new sermon series this week. We finished up Unsung last week, and today we're going to do something a little bit different with this series. Usually I do topical series where we we look at a topic uh, and the different things that Scripture says about that topic in different places of the Bible, but this time we're going to do something different. We're going to work through an entire book of the Bible together. Um, As a matter of fact, it's not actually a book, but it's a letter. We're going to work through the letter of James uh, from the beginning to the end. It'll take us probably up until uh, December time, I think, and then we'll switch to our uh, Advent season. But we're just going to read through the letter of James together and talk about it. Uh, And so I know what you all are thinking right now. What you're thinking is, who was James and why should I care about his letter? Who is James and why should I care about his letter? So we're going to deal with the first question first. Who was James? Who was James? Well, uh, as we're going to see, James doesn't tell us exactly who he is other than his name was James. But when we go back and we look at what the early Christians told us about the, the writer of this letter, they tell us that they believe that the writer of this letter was James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. They shared the same mama. Uh, They didn't have the same daddy because we believe that Jesus' father was God, but they shared the same mama, and so James was the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, We're going to talk about him a little bit later as we get into the letter, Um, but he was also a leader in the early church. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He was a leader in the early church. He was instrumental in helping the church come to some decisions about some problems that were going on, and so we're going to see an early leader in the church's vision for how Christians ought to conduct their lives, which leads us to why should I care about his letter? Why should we care about what James, living 2,000 years ago, had to say in a letter? Because he didn't write the letter to us, right? He wrote the letter to somebody else. We're just, you know, we sort of received, we were opening his mail to somebody else. Why should we care about what he had to say? Well, getting back to sort of who he was, I told you that James was the half-brother of Jesus, One of the things we know about James is that during Jesus' ministry, while Jesus was alive and and teaching and preaching and healing and doing all these things, we know that James wasn't a follower of Jesus. You know, his older brother was going around teaching and preaching and and doing all sorts of things. And uh, some sections of Scripture indicate that James actually thought that maybe his older brother, Jesus, was a little crazy. He was not one of Jesus' disciples during Jesus' earthly ministry. But then something happened. Something happened that caused James from being a non-follower of Jesus during Jesus' life to becoming one of the leaders in the movement that his older brother began. And so for me and for many others, we believe this is pretty good proof of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. You've heard me ask this question before. I've stolen it from one of my favorite preachers. What would it take to convince you that your older brother was Lord? right? Something pretty significant. So we see in James's life going from not believing in Jesus, maybe even thinking his brother's a little bit crazy, to all of a sudden being a leader in the movement bearing his brother's name. Something happened to change his mind. I think the resurrection is a pretty good explanation for what happened there. And I believe that this gives James's letter credibility, right? Especially for those you know, who may doubt a little bit. You may doubt Christianity. You see, we see in James, somebody who doubted Jesus at at one point came to believe in the resurrection and then rose up in the ranks, became a leader in the early church. And I think this gives the letter maybe a little bit of extra credibility for those uh, who may doubt uh, a little bit. Um, So uh, one of the other reasons we should care about this letter is because as one commentator described it, it is intensely practical. 
The book of James is just super practical. There's not a lot of, you know, lofty theology. James really deals with how Christians ought to behave, how they ought to live. Um, James focuses less on what we should believe and, and more on how we should behave and more on how we should live. It, that's the title of the series. We're calling it Faith That Works. Faith That Works because James, writing this letter, as we're going to see, he's really interested in how people conduct their lives, what they do, what they talk about, what they think about. He deals with topics like how to deal with hardship and suffering. How should we, how should we face suffering and trials and persecutions? What should our mindset be when we go through these things? James talks about that. He, he deals with favoritism in the church. What should we do about favoritism? And, and how should we react when we're persecuted and when there's different groups and different classes within the church? And how should we relate to one another? James has some, some things to say about that. James talks about partiality. Should we esteem certain people greater than other people? How, should we have favorites in the church? James talks about that. He talks about the power of the tongue, the power of our words, how powerful are the things that come out of our mouth, what kind of healing or damage can we do with, with our tongue. James has some really good things to say about that. How should we interact with, with people who are wealthy? How should we handle our own wealth? How should we, you know, as, as employees or employers, how should we relate with one another? James has some very good practical things to say about that. Uh, what should we, you know, if we want wisdom, if we want more wisdom in our life, raise your hand if you want more wisdom. If you'd like to have more, James has some great things to say about wisdom. How do we attain wisdom in life? James has some really good advice when it comes to that. Another reason we should take uh, James seriously, I'm going to read to you a quote uh, from the New Testament scholar, Dr. Douglas Mood. He, he gives us some, some insight into James that I believe indicates that we should take James seriously. Here's what he says. He says, James depends more than any other New Testament author on the teaching of Jesus. This is interesting. James depends more than any other New Testament author on the teaching of Jesus. Again and again, the closest parallels to James's wording will be found in the teaching of Jesus. The author of the letter seems to have been so soaked in the atmosphere and specifics of Jesus' teaching that he can reflect them almost unconsciously. You know, when we read Paul, Paul has some things to say about Jesus, but, but a lot of what Paul writes is Paul's own outworking in, in theology, and he deals a lot about what to believe. He has practical stuff, too, how we ought to behave and live, but there's something about James's letter that, that is unique. It just, it drips Jesus. It drips Jesus. Some of the language, some of the phrasing, some of the wording, it just it drips Jesus. And so what we have here is somebody who, is, who, who at one point knew Jesus while he was alive, came to believe in Jesus after his resurrection, and is now putting together this letter that explains to, to early Christians the outworking of Jesus' teaching in their present day. How does what Jesus taught, how does that manifest itself into how Christians ought to live on a day-to-day -day basis? That's what James gets at here. So he, he takes Jesus' teaching, and, and he applies it, and he explains how it works out in the lives of Christians. Now that Jesus is no longer walking around on his own two feet preaching and teaching, but now that we have these followers of a resurrected Christ, how ought their lives to look? These are some of the things that James talks about. So whether you are already a believer and you're just wondering, you know, how do I live this better? 
How do I put my faith into practice uh, in a more practical, tangible way? James is going to give us some really good instructions in terms of how we can live our lives, how we can put these things into practice. If you're not a believer, if maybe you're exploring Christianity, if you're exploring faith for the first time and and you sort of want to, you know, forgive the phrase, but maybe try it before you buy it, uh, count the cost a little bit, understand what's involved in following Jesus, reading through the book of James, studying through the book of James will help you understand what it means to be a Christian. So if you're exploring, hey, do I, you know, is becoming a Christian something that is going to be helpful, beneficial, meaningful to my life, James, you know, it'll sort of give you a preview for what will be expected of you if you decide that you want to follow Jesus. He explains how disciples, followers of Jesus, ought to live. Now, this may surprise you. Uh, James is, is one of the most popular books among Christians today, one of the most popular letters in the New Testament. Not everyone throughout history had a, had a great high regard for the letter of James. I'm going to read you a quote next uh, from the great reformer Martin Luther, the one who you know, led the Reformation in the um, 16th century, you know, theologian, wrote lots of stuff. We, we credit him for helping to restore some of the you know, truths of Christianity that had been lost and had been corrupted. But, but Martin Luther had a downside too, and I'm going to read you what Martin Luther had to say about the epistle of James. He says this, St. James' epistle is really an epistle of straw. That's not a nice term to call it an epistle of straw. That's that's not good. That's not a a compliment to the letter of James. He goes on to say, Compared to the others, uh, for it has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. Which is interesting. Right? Now, we have to understand this in its context. Right? We have Martin Luther who is experiencing um, a, a corrupted version of Christianity where um, there, are, there are people teaching that you have to do certain things, to, to, and especially in regards to the church at the time, you have to pay certain tithes and taxes and, and certain things to the church in order to be accepted. And so Martin Luther is working within a system where there's a lot of corruption based on people are using fear motivation to get Christians to, to behave in certain ways, most importantly, are, are using fear motivation to, to coerce Christians into giving money to support things that, that aren't biblical and aren't scriptural. And so this, this weighed on Martin Luther, and he had this, Martin Luther had a really overactive conscience, really overactive conscience. In other words, every little thing he did that was, that was uh, bad or sinful, it just weighed on him. And so he, in his mind, he thought, how in the world am I going to earn my way into heaven with all of these sins that I think about and commit on a daily basis? And so Martin Luther, weighed down by this heavy conscience, studies the book of Romans for himself, and he comes across Romans chapter 1, verse 17, where it talks about the just will live by faith. The just will live by faith. And so, so for Martin Luther, justification by faith became the bedrock of his gospel. And, and, and thankfully so, right? He, that, this, this caused him to, to, to start writing against some, some um, corruption in the church, some bad practices in the church. And, and the much of what he observed was really great and really wonderful, and we're very thankful for, for what he saw and what he observed. But in certain cases, Martin Luther's emphasis on justification by faith apart from works went a little bit too far. So far that he read the Gospel of James, which as we're going to see, 
focuses very heavily on the importance of works and what we do and how we live. And so Martin Luther, as he, as he read James and he compared it with some things in Paul, he couldn't get James to, to, to square with Paul in certain areas. And so he said, well, we're going we're gonna to set James aside. Now, he didn't reject it completely. Uh, he said, there are some good things in it. He said, I won't, I won't criticize people who want to extol it. James does have some good things to say. He just doesn't get at the gospel. Doesn't get the gospel. And, and so one of the reasons we're going to study it is because I think that in this particular aspect, Martin Luther was, was sort of wrong. He was sort of wrong. I think what we have is Martin Luther had a gospel that was too narrow. And because of that, it caused him to, to take this great book, this book that I love, that many of you probably love. You probably know quotes from James, and you may not even know that they're quotes from James. That's how popular it is. And it caused him to, to as he's looking at James through this, this narrow lens, to, to sort of set it aside as, as almost subscriptural. He, he kept it in the canon, but like he put it like at the bottom. It's like, these, this was, it's... It's kind of subpar. There are some good things in it, but it's not quite the gospel. As we get into it, I, I, I hope to show, I hope to demonstrate that what James has to say really does fit in line with the gospel and really does, does mesh well with what Paul has to say in other places, and we ought to celebrate it, um, and I think it's just a wonderful book. So we're going to push back a little bit against Martin Luther. Um, so next week, we're going to dive into the meat of James. Today, we're just going to spend a couple of minutes. Today's going to be a little bit of a shorter sermon. I know I went long in the past few weeks with unsung stuff, so I'm just going to give you some introductory material. We're going to set the framework. We're going to set the, the context and the foundation for James, and then I'm going to invite you back next week to really start diving into what he has to teach us about how we ought to live. Um, First, we're just going to look, we're going to spend some time in the very first verse of the book of James. We're going to see what we can uh, build in terms of historical context to sort of set the stage for these next few weeks as we work our way through this letter. So here's how the, the letter of James opens up. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. So what we see here as we open the, this is why we call James a letter. You know, sometimes we say it's the book of James, but it wasn't actually a book. James didn't write a book, right? He wrote a letter. Now, what's interesting here, and we've already talked about this a little bit, is James calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, Jesus was James's older brother. Who has an older brother? Who has a younger brother? Or a younger sibling. Okay. What would it take for you to call your sibling Lord? I've got siblings and I love them. But I'm not calling my siblings Lord. And I'm certainly not calling myself their servant. Right? Something happened in James's life that caused him to refer to his older brother as Lord and himself his servant. Good evidence, I believe, for the resurrection. Paul, Paul, writing later on, calls James a pillar of the church. James was a leader in the early church in Jerusalem um, when there was a big 
conflict over whether or not new Gentile believers had to be circumcised and keep the law. Uh, James was the leader of the church at that time who issued the decision that no, Gentile believers don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Those of you who are men and Gentiles, say amen, right? You can thank James for the fact that if you're a, a Gentile believer, you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. We can thank James for that. Yeah, I, some, of the, some of the men are, are nodding and smiling, right? We, we don't have to go undergo surgery in order to be saved. That, that's a good thing. So James played a, a very pivotal role in the formation of the early church. Um, goes on in the letter. He tells us who he's writing to. It says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. More than likely, this is referring to Jewish Christians who are living outside of Jerusalem. If you read through the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church as communicated to us through the historian and physician Luke, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 8 that there was a persecution that arose in Jerusalem in the early years of the church. And because of this local persecution in Jerusalem, the, believe, the Jewish believers in Christ, because at that time all of the believers were, were of Jewish background, the, the, the gospel had not yet been preached to the Gentiles, so in early Acts, there's this local persecution of the Jewish Christians living in Jerusalem. And because of that, these Jewish Christians then spread out. They, uh, as Luke tells us, they are scattered out uh, uh, outside of Jerusalem in Judea and beyond. And so what we have here, what we believe we have here, is one of the earliest written documents of the New Testament. Where James is writing, he's writing this pastoral letter to these Christians, these Jewish Christians, who have had to leave everything behind, right? If persecution arose and, and we all had to, had to scatter, right? Pretend like there was an intense persecution of Christians in, in Bloomington. And so, you know, you don't really have a lot of time to gather your stuff and plan your move. So he's writing these people who all of a sudden had to get up and leave where they were and go start new lives and new places and figure out what it means to live as Christians in these new areas. And so James, being a leader and being a pastor, is, is right writing to them about how they ought to now conduct themselves, how they ought to live their lives as believers outside of this familiar environment that they were in. Now, there is potentially a secondary meaning to the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad, right? One of the, one of the themes that come across throughout the New Testament is this idea that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, our, our citizenship sort of changes, Right? That we're no longer defined by our worldly nationalities or our worldly homes, but that we, we are now sort of defined as citizens of the kingdom of God. And in a sense, this world is not our home anymore. And so James is writing to people who, who have placed their, their allegiance in Jesus as their Lord, and he's helping them explain that, that to, to be scattered abroad means to you don't really have a, a, a permanent home here in the world anymore. How do we live now as citizens of the kingdom of God in this present world? And so that, that might be a secondary meaning of the, the 12 tribes scattered abroad. And, and that sort of includes all of us. And this is where the letter of James becomes really practical for those of us in the 21st century who are trying to follow Jesus, who, who believe that because we're citizens of the kingdom of God, that, that this world isn't really our home, that we're, we're defined more by our relationship to Jesus than we are to the United States of America or whatever country we may call our own. 
that, that James is teaching us how we ought to live with our primary allegiance to Jesus instead of what, whatever land we may be occupying at the time. Um, so what's interesting about James, most of the other letters in the New Testament, if you read through the letters of Paul, Paul is either writing to a specific person or he's writing to a specific church. So he writes to Timothy or to Titus, or he writes to the church in Corinth or the church at Rome. And so that helps us to sort of narrow down the, the, the cultural context. James is writing to Christians who are living lots of different places. It sort of seems to be this, this broad, overarching, very practical letter. And again, that, that makes it very practical for us. Um, now, we still have to take into consideration, we talked about this last week, historical context and cultural context, but because James is considered what scholars call a general epistle, right, general in the sense that it's not addressed to one specific person or one specific church, but it's addressed to Christians everywhere, we can, uh, we're going to find that a lot more is directly applicable to us. Last week, we looked at Paul's letter to Timothy, and we saw that Timothy, that Paul told Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach's sake, right? There was very personal stuff in there. There's a lot less of that in James. Most of what we read in James, we're going to find we can apply in some sort of direct way in our life. Now, we're still going to need to be careful because there, there are differences between our context in James's context, right? For the most part, the, the Christians that James are writing to are a, a minority in that region. They're, they're a religious minority. They don't have much political power. Most of us here, if, if, if we're living in America and we're Christians and, um, you know, most of us are of the majority culture and we sort of have the, the, the power on our side where they didn't back there. So we're going to have to take some of the things that James says and we're going to have to reinterpret those in light of the fact that we're in a different social context than they were, but, but that's not very difficult and I'll, I'll help you work through that. And, and my hope is as we do this, it's going to help teach you all who are interested how to read and study the Bible for yourself, that some of the principles that we talk about, you'll then be able to take, and as you engage in your own Bible reading and Bible study, you will be able to start putting these principles in place. In other words, I want to help equip you to, to read and study the Bible for yourself, to read these letters and figure out how you apply it, even though you're living in a totally different social location than they were living back then. Uh, but as we're going to see in the next several weeks as we work through this letter, what follows this introduction, the rest of James, is some of the most practical advice for the various life situations that we may encounter in the New Testament, all consolidated in one place. So it's going to be really helpful for helping us live like Christians. Now, if you're looking for a list of theological beliefs to check the, you know, check the box, I believe, I believe, I believe, that's not what we're going to find in James. But we are going to find here is how to live like someone whose allegiance belongs to Jesus. And, and for, for that, I think it's invaluable. I think it's invaluable. Uh, and so I'm going to give you some homework. I'm going to give you some homework. It's optional, right? You don't have to turn anything in. It's optional. But here's your homework. Read James once a week during this message series. Really easy. You can read one chapter a day, Monday through Friday, and take the weekends off. And you can still read through the book of James, the letter of James, once a week. I think if you do that, you'll start to soak in the message of James. And I would encourage you, for those of you who have access to... Um, 
different versions of the Bible, and you can get these on, on apps. version is a great app for your smartphone. Uh, you can do this BibleGateway.com or BibleHub.com if you have the internet. Um, if, you, if you like the paper books, you can go to a bookstore and get a comparative study Bible where they have different versions laid out next to each other. I'd encourage you as you do this, maybe read a different version every week. Maybe read a different version every week because they're going to just translate things in somewhat different ways. But if you do that, the message of James, I believe, over the next several weeks will just soak into who you are and your being, and it will start to work itself out in the way that you live. And then you can come and we can maybe have some discussion and, and maybe have some questions. And you, Hey, I read this. What does this mean? As, as we work through it together, we'll start to see all of us will become followers of Jesus through the instruction of James. Now, some of you, if you're really ambitious, we've probably got enough time that you could actually memorize the letter to James. You guys are laughing. <laughs> it's, it's actually not that long. Um, so if, if, if you're into memorizing Scripture, James isn't terribly long. You can start to memorize it, or at least the passages that, that mean the most to you. You're like, oh, ooh, I really like that one. And you can start to memorize some of these passages. So it's going to allow us, instead of taking a, a broad look at, at, at a big topic, we're going to focus and narrow in on one particular letter and what one particular person who we believe is a pretty important person, the brother of Jesus, a leader in the early church, teaches us about what it means to follow Jesus in a practical way. Uh, so, read James once a week and join us next week for James' practical advice on enduring hardship. James is going to give some wonderful instruction on what we should do when we go through trials, when we face hardship, when we go through times of suffering, how we ought to orient our minds, what we ought to do. And, and, and here's the thing. Here's, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, I believe that what James is going to teach us about some of these things will be helpful for your life regardless. Even if you don't consider yourself a Jesus follower, some of the things that James says are so true and so practical that you don't even have to believe for some of these things to make your life better. I believe that the teachings of Jesus and what we have in James is the, is the mediated teachings of Jesus, that if we put his teachings into practice, many of them, they're going to benefit our lives in a positive way because Jesus teaches us the way of life. So even if you don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, or even if you don't believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, I'd encourage you still to stick with us through this series because some of the advice that James gives is just so good, I think you'll find it will make your life better. So I'd, I'd encourage you, you know, again, that, that whole try before you buy. Try, put some of these things into practice. And if you find that it works, maybe that's some evidence that, hey, this Jesus thing may have something to it. So here's the introduction. We've introduced James. Don't miss next week as we look at James' practical advice for enduring hardship. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that in your providence you have preserved this letter for us. Uh, that, we, that we can know about James, this, this man who thought Jesus was crazy during his life and then, and then came to believe that his, his big brother was actually the Son of God and, and called him Lord. Lord, I pray that, I, I just thank you that you, in, in your providence, you worked with, with men and women to preserve this letter, that we can still read it today. Uh, and as, as we're going to see, Lord, that the, the teachings that, that I believe that you inspired James to write down, that these teachings will benefit us and impact us and show us how to live in a way that we can honor you and glorify you and experience life that is really life. 
So Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. I just pray that this series would both honor you and encourage and challenge us to step up the way that we live and live in a way that brings you honor and glory and in a way that manifests your love and your light to those we come in contact with. Thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.